Hello and welcome to Here with a Thousand Potions, a gaming podcast where two 30-something-plus gamers examine the storytelling and gameplay of popular and niche RPGs. It's like a book club with doppelgangers. <laughs> this is season one, and we're talking about Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. My name is Tyler. And I'm Nate. You should join us on this adventure by playing Xenoblade with us. We just started Chapter 14. We're getting into the Central Factory. I can't wait to talk about it. Nate, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing good. Were you pulled down the Game of Thrones rabbit hole by somebody? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I watched the show. I didn't watch the House of the Dragon, though. Yeah, I'm going to uh, hold my ground as long as I can and not watch it and not be dragged in and not... Oh. Now that I work from home and don't interact with literally anyone, I don't have to have those water cooler moments anymore. Hmm. I don't have to pretend like I'm down with the sickness like everyone else. So, new shows coming out. New shows are coming out, yeah. Everyone's mad about She-Hulk because there's a 30-second clip where she says, women are always controlling their anger when men do stupid shit to them. Everyone on the internet is mad about those 14 to 30 seconds of dialogue from the latest episode of She-Hulk. And I'll just say, like, hey, I know a lot of women from being in a military family and being around military people all the time. And let me tell you, all of their experiences are basically about men treating them like shit at their job. So, you know what? I'm down with the She-Hulk take. Nice. That's a spicy one, Nate. Um, Things have been rough. My goodness, we had a dog die on Friday. My dad was visiting during that time, and that was kind of chaotic. We had a another dog die back in May, and then we had our baby with a 19-day NICU stay. So I'm feeling like after... After all that kind of happening, we feel, uh, my wife and I feel kind of punch drunk with dramatic life changes, and uh, we're kind of hoping it's going to slow down now, but yeah, our dog kind of died um, pretty suddenly, and so we've been unhappy about that. This episode is dedicated to all of the Chewini. All the wiener dogs out there. This one goes to you. Shout out to wiener dogs. I've been naming the chapters at the beginning of the chapter, and I find out that that's not really appropriate, so... I'm retroactively renaming the last chapter, which was, I believe I called it Mech Daddy Assassins. Fat Daddy Assassins. Fat, yeah, Fat Daddy Assassins, sorry. I'm retroactively renaming chapter 13, Ryan Stole Your Girl. <laughs> stole Ya Girl, with an apostrophe. Yeah, because you were, Gadolt was busy being an emo bitch and then dying. Whereas Ryan has been a absolute chad and is busy living, I'm pretty sure I can conclusively say that uh, Sharla is a, a girl stolen. Right. Not much competition, though. You're evil, you're a bad guy, and you've had your memory wiped. Not very, not very much uh, fiancé material anymore. Not his fault, though. And I'm also going to say I am not going to give us a name for Chapter 14 yet because we are not actually going to finish Chapter 14 in this recording. There's a lot of content in Chapter 14. Oh my god, this is a theory-crafting bonanza, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. So the chapter begins. We've got Ego. He's standing in front of his gold face frame, which is itself standing in front of an enormous bronzy forge that towers over the other two figures. And it's built into the likeness of a woman, and her expression is peaceful and kind of saintly. Is it a husk or a statue of Lady Maynith? There's a structure he's standing in front of as well that it's like an orange light seems to be glowing out from behind him and the gold face mech on. It's like a pattern that combines organic curves with the appearance of like stained glass, if I can put it that way. Whereas it seems like light is emanating out from behind this surface, showing that either some sort of energy is back there or some sort of light or being even is behind that gate. That glowing area that you're mentioning is in the belly or even let's say womb area of this statue of whatever this could be, Lady Maynith maybe. And I wonder if that's sort of like a stylish metaphor for being like Mother Makanis. I did not think of that. That's a great observation. Would you say that Egil's silhouette is not entirely masculine? I 
kind of am getting the appearance of like a thinner torso area, wider hips, and is he wearing heels? There's nothing wrong with that, but it's just interesting that a character with such a deep voice and given the um, title of son of um, Mikol, he's he's not entirely the hulking, threatening presence that you would have believed him from his description. Yeah, he's kind of effeminate in his features. He's lith, lithe. I only see that word written, not spoken. Leave both in. Leave both in. Keep her rolling. Yeah, he's kind of like a thin white, thin white duke. We join Eggle for some sepia tone flashbacks and we see flashes of action. Two of them, the first one, mutant Telethi is charging through the air. And the second, giant naked Zanza swinging the Monado with deadly purpose three times. Zanza may have a big beard, but not a lot else is going on in the big department for him being a fully naked man. So I'm kind of understanding where the Monado's resizing and extendo abilities come into play now. Yeah, for real. Remember that this guy, he created the Monado, but he might also be the Monado. And he's he's cutting down, like you said, like a Hydra-headed Telethia. It seems like Telethia come in many shapes, sizes, forms. And I think we've talked about at one point, like they're an evolutionary being that they, they have stayed did that come up earlier in the game at some point? Weren't there statues of early, like, dino oh, beast yes. Telethia on, on the black, what was that? Prison Island, right? Yes, there were. The big black shard. Mm-hmm. So we know that Telethia can have different stages of being, and I think that's going to come in a little bit later uh, as we explore more this chapter. What I will say is that... Um, Egil seems to speak to that wall, that statue of Lady Maynath, in service to her. And he describes that he has a will to live in a world without fear. It's interesting because we know from our experiences that Lady Maynath opposes Egil in the way in which she leads Fiora and assists her. And that battle at Sword Valley when she was, uh, where he could not control Nemesis' face because of Maynath's uh, meddling, I guess I'll say. It seems like like the idea of Lady Maynath is more of like a religious conviction than an actual adherence to a person that he's speaking to. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, he has his own version of Lady Maynath that he serves. Like, he knew her back in the day when she was, you know, maybe there physically with them in some form or leading the Machina people and he was just a follower at that point. He has this version of her in his head that he's still serving regardless of what actions she is or is not taking in the moment. So Egil is imagining giant naked Zanza swinging the Monado with deadly purpose. He's part of the plan of... I get the impression that uh, Egil just hates Zanza from that vision. Oh, okay. Maybe he's fearful of those swings. Those swings yeah. were like in your face. Like the third one was like slashing at the screen. Like, Ugh. Yeah. Maybe he is maybe he's fearful of Zanza. Hmm. He wants to destroy the Monado. So I guess he doesn't want Zanza to have it. We go into a memory ball world again. We're in Inside Out, the movie again. He, and Ego says, we must destroy the Monado to ensure victory. He's looking for a memory ball and he can't find it. And he says, Zanza, where are you? Ego stretches his arms and several red lights begin to glow on Mechanus's head. The final shot of this scene is a low angle pointed up at Mechanus's face and we get a pretty good look at it actually and it's got that armored sort of visor and it has these several like beard tentacles that come down like upside down towers so that was a pretty neat shot but we see this red light again what's this red light about Yora, she issued a red light when what to protect everybody from the jade face attack she issued a red light to re-empower the monado during the gold face fight at galahad fortress what is the red light? The Monado's red, so could it be like Nano Monado's or like Essence of Monado? I have no idea. Well, the Monado's red. Red light is a thing. Yeah, the Monado's red, but it always deals with that blue light unless it's using like a special ability, which it's interesting. We haven't really unlocked any other special abilities in quite a while. I was expecting more fun shenanigans, right? But uh, it seems like the red light is the antithesis of that, or like the Mechanus version of ether manipulation, even though we've learned that the Mechanus doesn't really have ether in any 
capacity. It absorbs the ether from Bionis. So it seems like Bionis right now is an independent entity that could exist on its own, but Mechanis certainly is not. I don't know if that's true. Last chapter, I was talking about all of the dualities between the two places and how we started the game seeing one is the enemy, but now that we're in the other people's shoes, we see the other. But it does, like, logically, I would say, if Mechanis runs off of Bionis's energy or is stealing it to do things or whatever, then that would mean that one was an original and the other one was a copy of some kind? I don't know. There's... So much to unpack in this. There's like four cutscenes at the beginning of this chapter to uh, unpack. And they're super enigmatic. The next one, Shulk in space. Shulk in space. In space! Elvis is calling Shulk's name as Shulk floats in honest-to-God outer space. It's a vast starfield asteroid belt with dark blue nebulas in the background. Elvis is talking to Shulk while he's idling in outer space. Shulk is kind of like floating, like leisurely, like you might in a down a river or like in the sea, very relaxed. He's not like swimming in the lake. He's not doing anything. He's kind of in this asleep state. Maybe he got, um, maybe he's in a dream following a bout of unconsciousness that occurred during the concussive blast of the Jade Face fight at the end of the Jade Face fight. And anyways, Alvis tells Shulk a higher power has decided Shulk can understand the law of causality. And why would Shulk act against their will? And Shulk says very sensibly, it is natural to want to change an unhappy future. And Alvis is kind of cool with that. He's steering the conversation and he says something like, if that is what you wish, then you must find your Monado. Yeah, Tyler, the, the stars, the sea of stars were floating, and we haven't really seen this before when we get Monado visions. Usually it's like a, a location or a flashback or like a sepia tone land of some kind. This is completely new, and it is not in a like distorted filter of some kind laid over the screen when we're doing it. So whatever that means, you know. But I, I briefly think of the uh, segment in Super Mario Brothers 3 where you defeat one of the Koopa kids and you get their magic magic staff oh yes suddenly you just begin floating through space when you get that staff it always like tripped me out as a four-year-old kid wondering what's going on here and my older sister would joke uh quote when the coke finally kicks in unquote <laughs> i didn't get that joke as a kid but i did enjoy coke it was officially known as coke back then because the coca-cola company had killed off coca-cola in favor of Coke for a few years there. So I figured she meant that Mario was probably just enjoying a refreshing drink at that moment. Today... Okay, Nate, what's your favorite video game scene that takes place in outer space? Oh, okay, let me... That's a, that's a good question. Video game scene that takes place in outer space. I know, I, I, I think I know. It is the opening to Halo 1. It's got great music. It's got world building and lore. It's just simple. It sets the stage, but at the same time, it's like uh, it's establishing action and stakes and tension. Yet uh, it just has like a iconic peacefulness to it in that moment. And then they crack Master Chief open, and you just hit the ground running, and you're it's just nonstop from that point on. So um, yeah, that's a good space sequence. I feel like there are two um, categories to this. There are RPGs that are just set in outer space and they're RPGs where you're on a planet and then you go out, go to outer space and that's a different sort of are you thinking of uh sid's rocket moment with uh charla you know it could be sid's rocket moment it could be the post final battle duel between Sh between shulk between cloud and sephiroth but even in the remake there's there's Sephiroth hanging out there on the edge of creation. You know, I think I saw Sephiroth on a nebula hanging out there as uh, Shulk was spinning by. Oh, we also get another good one in Illusion of Gaia. Oh, sure. Sure. The final battle takes place in space, and then you're just looking on over an Earth that is about to undergo a degree of recreation. You fight on the surface of a burning comet. Yeah. Can we play the song that goes da 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 da? Sure. Da 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 da. Oh yes. No. I, yeah. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It, that's the one that's got a real emotional punch to it. Yeah. Yeah.
During the uh, the chat with Alvis, uh, he gives Shulk another quick refresher on Monado skills, just in case you forgot what the Monado does at this point in the game. So I wonder if it's like a certification you need to refresh as a Monado wielder. Hmm. It doesn't work unless you go to your, uh, quote, the Monado and you, understanding reality manipulation and your responsibilities as a protagonist, unquote. Seminar slash retreat on... Kanapali Maui once every two years slash two chapters you get your uh, advice seminar from Alvis yes you need to re-up that certification in order for Monado to do its thing you know you might be onto something yeah it seems like we're constantly getting Monado information that we already knew all right so that scene in space doesn't fade to black and go to the following scene we're about to it fades into the next scene fade to sepia tone at ice tower this is an anime moment right here where we're being we're being a little mysterious for the sake of being mysterious and then you come back and you replay the game and you're like oh man i i should have known this is so clear and easy to understand now so i call those anime moments because it's like anime's bread and butter is doing that like the first time you watch through everything it's just one big mystery and then and they do an exposition dump on the last episode and then you rewatch the show and you're like oh okay everything makes sense now so um here's the scene baby shulk stands before another baby shulk and when i say baby the story says he's four he looks 10 shulk is going to that spot um where he's or he, he's attempting to go to that spot where he's uh found the monado originally and then the the what I would call, what I'm deducing as the fake Shulk or the doppelganger Shulk, as you said. He says, you can't do that. You're not here. You can't do that because you aren't here. Not anymore. Helvis says he needs to get his Monado, implying the one that he has isn't actually his. And from the connection to the Zanza scene earlier, it sounds like the one we're wielding in the moment is Zanza's Monado. And they're... There is yet another Monado out there that belongs to Shulk. Is that your theory? Yeah, that's my. That's what I got so far. What do you think? Are you ready for this? I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think Alvis is the avatar of the Monado. The Lady Manith? Um, maybe. We deduced that last chapter, that the, the giant titans are Gundams, and the Gundam has a pilot. Right. I think we found that out last chapter conclusively, that Lady Manith is the Gundam pilot for Mechanus. So you're saying that Alvis is the Gundam pilot for Bionis, right? I don't know if I am. Here's what I put together. Okay. So what we saw was a mirror of Shulk standing next to an empty Monado resting place. Where did the Monado go? I think it's still in the room. It's just taken a Shulk-like form. I think Alvis is doppelganger Shulk, but is also the Monado, which is also Zanza. Alvis talked to Zanza though, right? They're all like linked into this power network in some way. Is Dixon another Zanza? Copy. I can't figure out Dixon yet, but my idea is that Shulk made contact with the Monado, and then and then I'm gonna assume that it took the form of Shulk, but Zanza is the Monado, so Shulk equals Monado equals Zanza. I mean, so when Shulk freed Zanza, it empowered the Monado, which gave Shulk more power. Alvis's plan is to get even more power. So how much more free can Zanza get? I don't actually know that answer. Does will Shulk be compelled to become a face mechon and that like I have no freaking idea. But so I kinda wonder if Alvis is the avatar of the Monado who took the corporeal form of Shulk, and maybe he needs Shulk to reunite with it. Maybe they're meaning to get back together, and, and maybe the reunion of the Monado and Alvis is the true meaning of empowering the Monado in this third sort of manner, and also explains why Alvis knows Shulk's name, his psychic connection to Shulk, and why he cares about everything he fucking does. And I also think that this tracks um, because it also marries storytelling beats between Xenogears and Xenoblade Chronicles 2. So for Xenogears, it's on account of a young boy meeting a god machine who manifests Manifested something. Mm. Although in Xenogears, the machine manifested something else, not, not a copy of the young boy. And it smacks of Xenoblade Chronicles 2 because it's famous for having hotties embodying weapons. You're officially identifying Alvis as hottie. Is this feeling excitement? I mean, somebody. <laughs> You're not wrong in that because Alvis's necklace matches the icon on the uh, like yeah. main hottie from. Xenoblade Chronicles 2. So you're on a track there that is not 
terribly wrong. Also, Alvis's original model wore like a key around his neck, so he's meant to unlock something. Okay. And they, they changed that for the definitive edition. I see what you're laying down. I I feel you, and I I understand. For me personally, if it is a correct theory, it's a little too Kingdom Hearts for me. Okay. But I wouldn't put that past it because the industry is changing, and we've seen very reserved conscious creators like Hironobu Sakaguchi also make like obscure obtuse trash in recent years so I'm not saying your theory is bad I'm saying I don't expect that of Takahashi just yet to go down a more modern more Square Enix route of story I, I expect a little bit more reserve from him so far but we'll see what did Sakaguchi make recently that was bad the Fantasian or whatever it was called was his most recent game uh-huh. and it's just like a pretty boy robot it's not a bad game but like story-wise it's just pretty boy robots like almost trying to lean into near automata in some ways and like okay. half uh, granted i haven't finished it but like the entire time i was just like this does not feel like his work at all it feels like a boardroom of people got together and like this will this will appeal very well to people. This will appeal. Yeah. This this will appeal to the kids, you know? Um, and I was just like, it left a bad taste in my mouth, like, playing that. It's like, this, this isn't him. This isn't his work, you know? Even when he switched to making Blue Dragon and Lost Odyssey, there was a uniqueness to his work that I was like, man, this is what I wish Final Fantasy was doing still, you know? Mm -hmm. Granted, I loved Final Fantasy XII at the time that came out roughly around the same era, but anyway, we're tangenting hard. I do have a theory I can add if if you're interested. Sure. We keep hearing true heir to the Monado, right? Mm. And with the duality between Bionis and Mechanis, I, I'm led to believe there are there's a duality between Lady Maneth and her purposes on Mechanis to some figure on Bionis. I think that whoever that figure was on Bionis was usurped by other powers. And so maybe Zanza creating or wielding the Monado? How did he create and wield a sword that he is not the true heir to, right? I think the Monado as a weapon predates him, but like its special abilities to like lock and seal abilities and reserve them and not damage certain people with it, etc. I think that that was his design. And so there was somebody that predates him that is the true heir to the Monado and that title is being given left and right to Shulk. I'm thinking Shulk is the Lady Maneth of Bionis. He doesn't know it yet, so when we see two Shulks in the um, Monado room, right? Mm-hmm. We we have a like reincarnation vessel, just like Fiora is a vessel for Lady Maneth. We have a reincarnation vessel Shulk, and then we have what I'm going to lovingly dub Abel Shulk standing before him and uh, say, you know, like I'm showing you this place, I'm showing you this vision, but like you you this is not where you're from, and this is not who you are, like. You need to become your real self before you can really wield the Monado, right? Back in Makanis, Jadeface has fled, and Venea shows up. Hey, Makina, are you Venea? Venea? Does that mean you're Mikol's daughter? I am glad you are safe, Lady Maneth. Yep, she looks a lot like what Egil's sister should look like. She's tall, skinny, has black steel armor, a pale face, glowing orange highlights from a huge metallic headdress that has stylish wires falling down behind here, kind of like as if they were hair. And uh, she also sports an enormously sexy chest. You went there so that I didn't have to. There's a certain artist that makes games like um, Dragon's Crown and uh, Odin's Sphere. I feel like he was a guest uh, character artist on this character because it feels very inspired by not like works from those games, but just the proportions that he illustrates characters in. Nate's referring to George Kamitani, president and game director for the developer Vanillaware. He was producer and director for Odin Sphere and Muramasa, writer slash artist for Dragon's Crown and director slash writer for 13 Sentinels. Venea has very, very long legs. She's got the high heels, like we talked about earlier, that Egil also has. She is essentially uh, proportioned and propped up in a way to be... Um, it doesn't read to me as like a sexy character because it's so incredibly foreign to me. But 
to Machina people, she is probably a goddess among Maki men. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting comment because even Lenata, another Machina woman is kind of sexless and straightforward. Lenata does have that butt on her head though. Right. Yeah, she makes up for personality with a butt. <laughs> She's got a hell of an ass on her head. <laughs> Oh my goodness, overcompensating. All right, so Vinaya says, you were protected by the power of Lady Maynith, having, you know, endured that, that final blast from Jadeface before he fled. When Vinaya talks to Fiora, she refers to her as if Fiora was Lady Maynith. As far as she's concerned, they are pretty much one and the same. She reiterates that Jadeface's memory is wiped, and that the faces are, the faces are created by directly integrating brainstem and metal, metabolic organs of Homs into Mechons. Early faces retain memories from former lives, and this caused problems, of course. For example, Metal Face was too fixated on his grudges. Um, but Egil, but Egil aims to counter the Amanado by allowing it to cut Bionis races, or those who share the blood of Zanza. This is the moment when we learn that Zanza is the progenitor of Homs. The group reacts accordingly to that. They did not suspect this in the slightest. He's the son of man. Zanza wasn't God. He was Jesus. Well, you had said he was on a crucifix earlier, so um, points to you for that one. Mm, yeah, maybe. We're confirming a Nate theory from many, many chapters earlier, and is a pretty obvious one, but that by sticking a Homs inside of a Mechon, you grant Monado immunity up until the point of uh, Prison Island. Mm -hmm. We officially get confirmation of our theories like four months after we first talk about them. We've been waiting so long. We also get the detail that Zanza and Egil were friends before they became enemies. Hmm. Weird. There is another cut in the cutscene uh, fiesta that we are enjoying. And uh, the armies on Bionis by Alchemoth are showing off their new aerial weapons called the Havres. Am I saying that correctly? Sure, sure, you're saying that correctly. While we're progressing and making shit happen, we're halfway to assassinating the leader of all of Mechanis. I'm being informed that the anti-Mechan army that was supposed to be doing shit like two months ago is just hanging out building stuff. And so they finally say, today we start our campaign against Galahad. And it's like, bitch, I did Galahad weeks ago. <laughs> So, anyway, uh, but Dixon also has a new ride, too, and he's digging it. Open the wing. We enter an all-new zone. According to the Bionis map, this is the central factory. We're in the chest area now. We take a bronzy freight elevator up a hundred floors into this next zone here. Our first views of this place are as the open air elevator ascends the last dozen floors and comes to a stop. The environment is very grand, large, cavernous spaces, purpose-built for the function of colossal mechanical devices, building-sized pistons pumping in and out of enormous galleries of steel. In another wing, in the distance, I can see an array of colossal pumping arms like the ones that pump oil in West Texas. <laughs> uh, the bottoms of some of these distant areas are covered in an otherworldly fog that makes everything around it glow a harsh industrial lighting yellow. There are enormous rungs of racks hung over me and I feel like I'm inside of a giant rib cage. The lighting in this area is golden and red, a pretty harsh variation of the cobalt and gray mechanical environments we saw in the Mechanis field below. But where there's no yellow fog, I can see a giant disc drive space at the base of this place, like well below the, the I'm dead, I fell limit of this place. And it's just spinning endlessly. It's like three city blocks long. They're burning all of their favorite tracks downloaded from Gaza onto uh, the Mechanis official mixtape. When when I arrive here as the lift uh, holds up, Fiora receives just enough experience to level up just by laying eyes on this wondrous sight. So uh, she, she adds, I can feel myself getting stronger. She can really use a shower right now. No, that's that's uh, Sharla. This is Fiora. Fuck. I don't know. I'm excited to be here too, and I'm excited to have my theory that we would get a molten industrial forge level in this game. Mm -hmm. It's cool. The music is rad. It's adventurous and courageous and confrontational. It is like we are charging towards the final encounter here. Yep, I have the same note. It's less like about exploration and more about driving forward, call to action, and then weaving in. I feel like there's reminiscent themes from the game like i'm hearing 
a little bit of an overarching theme that we've heard in other places. I can't confirm that, though. I'd have to spend significant time listening to the OST to confirm that, but it was feeling very familiar, yet amped up to a new level. Mm-hmm. It was great, it's a good track. There's also a Nopon Arc Sage teleporter here, and I expected there to be tons of new challenges because I really haven't interacted with one of these in quite a while. There's two. There's two new challenges, and I don't do them yet because I just can't be bothered. I just don't care. It's all like cosmetic gear and stuff, and it's like I'm much more excited to uh, experience this area than do more chores. Yeah, I got enough chores. Have you seen my quest log? The areas we're able to traverse in this zone are like large storage areas that hold stacks of sci-fi shipping containers that take the shape of a clamshell style take home leftovers box you would have put a burger in. (laughs) Between the harsh lighting, the exposed spaceship hangar on a space station, cavernousness, and the tenuous utility walkways, I feel like this place gives me Star Wars Empire Strikes Back Cloud City vibes. Hands, because in the original original, it was just all white hallways. So yeah, if if you're talking special edition, then yes. Well, I mean, I guess, I suppose the Oh, the under area. I get I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, like the under areas and the harsh atmosphere in the in the exterior areas. Is it weird to me that that doesn't register as Cloud City when you say Cloud City? What should it register as? The the place where Darth Vader does battle with Luke. Yeah, it's it's Cloud City. There's no mistaking that. I'm I'm wrong, but when you say Cloud City, I don't picture that. I picture them running through white hallways. Cool. That's that's pretty interesting. I picture harsh red landing pads and hanging off an antenna over oblivion that is my first memory of star wars ever as a kid i remember two things i remember luke in the swamp like doing things with yoda and like kind of being a little creeped out by yoda but not really because he was cute too and he was funny but then i also remember luke hanging upside down against the the red sky and falling into the ship and i i must have been five (laughs) Cool. And it was on TV. It was just on regular ass TV. Hom-friendly climbing walls allow us to access the first large open storage area, and it's about here where we get the idea to blast our way into the Mechanis Factory gate. I guess we're in the exterior areas, although we're in the zone named Central Factory. Uh, And we get three spontaneous quests to kill um, elites around the area and make a makeshift bomb out of their parts, and then put them together via a console called the Weapon Creation Panel. Yes, and Tyler, the thing we're blasting open is the ventilation shaft mm-hmm. and the area behind that is the ventilation area you see vents and ducts in crisscrossing patterns we talked about this earlier didn't we do you remember talking about the ventilation shafts you questioned me on my thesis i did question you yeah i'm gonna go back there now because i have validation on that uh star wars episode one they're in the ventilation shaft final fantasy 7 watching the shinra meeting metal gear solid sneaking into the base and xeno gears itself with uh ventilation shafts i'm telling you now i've said it before i'll say it again if you're designing a fortress you must do without ventilation it's not optional otherwise you've already lost the war That's spectacular. I feel like we could have destroyed this ventilation gate with any of our weapons. After all, we're in Mechanis and the gate is like a piece of Mechanis and I'm holding the weapon that sheared an arm clean off Mechanis. So sure, let's go make a bomb out of three random things an hour later. And I feel like that bomb could just blow up the gate, not a stupid shaft, mm-hmm. you know, or or that that shaft. Like, are there screws nearby? <laughs> what's holding that thing in place but i'm gonna stick to my thesis of if you are designing a base you need to relegate yourself to or you need to accept that you're going to be stewing in hot factory fumes of unrestrained industry you're going to be broiling in the bo of all of your compatriots and you better tell hank the hvac guy to go pound sand because you will not be broken you will not be ventilated by any means. By any means. By the weapon creation panel, there is a Zord-like Macon that we can fight. He's called Mass Produced Face, which is a shame because Zord is fun to say. And he's holding a green spear. He's hard, but he's not an elite. And when I kill him, he drops a bloodstained face, which I fucking took with me. Wait, what? He drops a bloodstained face and it's an inventory item. None of that happened for me. The weapon control panel was guarded by Faithful Lancelot for me. Yeah. And he's just an elite. He's a bit of a pushover but he did 
Okay, so he provided one interesting moment for me. I had Fiora in my party. Fiora is brought low. Shulk receives a trademark death vision prompt. The battle slows. I'm watching the future. I'm watching the vision. Fiora is targeted with the attack, and she blocks the attack and is completely fine. So Shulk just received a vision of someone being completely fine. Is the Monado still broke? I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm recalling that I did fight that elite as well, and I did get that same doom prompt that Fiora dodged and I'm thinking to myself god damn it monolith soft you can't even waste my time right but I also had this idea that maybe there's a lady mainith intervention mechanic that Fiora might have this is an opportunity for us to use the word diegetic sure yes the failed shulk vision is a diegetic in-game element of lady mainith's red eyes abilities superseding that of the monado not even the monado can predict what lady mainith's gonna do mm -hmm. Nate do you remember what happens when you set the bomb. When I set the bomb, it just explodes on the vent, right? I'm still blown away the fact that I've never fought a Zord-like with a green spear whatsoever in this entire chapter. Like, what the fuck? What am I doing in my game? Oh, yeah? I fought a couple of them. The weapon control panel is, like, sitting on top of a, of a lower level that has a gap that you can kind of fall into. Maybe there's a ramp that connects the two areas. And it was down there that I found Zord-likes. What the fuck? Sometimes I feel like we're playing a different game because you have quests I don't have and I talk to fucking everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm like not slacking off at all or rushing through things. I try in 100% maps when they're not just a giant fucking ocean. And yet they're, they're in completely different experiences that you're having that I'm not having. So, I mean, I do remember like a, uh, a ramp I rode and I jumped off onto side areas and stuff like that. So I, wherever possible, I tried exploring the map to every degree, but uh, I did not encounter any Zord likes and certainly not to make the bomb. The Faithful Lancelot was the guy guarding the bomb thing for me. When I select the vent to set up the explosive, it just blows up in the party leader's hands. Like it destroys the vent cover, but it like they didn't like animate Ryan taking a knee and setting it down and everyone walking away. It just blows up in their hand. And I had to laugh at that. Once we're through the narrow vent pipe room behind the vent, we walk along graded walkways above glowing pools of yellow. Quest! Defeat the M96 crisis unit and two crisis response units. Both very proper types of mechon names compared to everything else I'm seeing around here. Well, let's talk about the mechon names here a little bit. Everything has like a code that goes with it, M and a number, but then they also have single worded identifiers like thank <laughs> and uh, honey. Uh, what was the other one? Yeah, honey, thank. Uh, I had a couple that I sent you, so let me see. Da, 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 da. Angry, worst. Found. So you had postulated after we started talking about this that maybe they were kanji in the original Japanese. Now, I didn't look that up because that would break my rules of doing a lot of research. <laughs> but um, I did I did ask my wife, like, what would be the, the use for these? And it would essentially be just like a, a single character identifier to express an idea. It's just efficient. And so there's not like a higher reasoning to slapping kanji on these mechon that I can really think of. If there are any super fans out there that want to comment on this, on why these emotions of worst or angry would be... They didn't particularly connect to the mechon itself. Like worst was not the worst mechon, in my opinion. But there are essentially, for anyone out there, kanji are single characters that express a whole idea or a whole word in many cases. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes you need multiple characters. Like music are the characters for pleasant sound together or something along those lines. Uh, just off the top of my head. So sometimes you need two kanji, sometimes you need one, but it's a much more efficient way of writing. So usually when those get rom romanicized, I think that's the correct way to say it, in English we put them in all caps for some reason. You can see this on a lot of Japanese music albums where the title of the song is a kanji. Um, they will, on your Spotify or Apple Music Player, they will write that single word in all caps on your song titles. So. That's an indication that back home, it was written with a kanji. Cool, yeah, and that's probably happening here. Yeah, we kill the crisis units, easy stuff. Next quest, turn off electrical barrier, riveting. Yeah, we're receiving a lot of quests that are kind of holding our hands from objective to objective. And this is a new 
or mildly new thing at this late stage of the game. We didn't receive this kind of hand-holding earlier to, no, you need to go here, and you need to go here, and you need to do this. It was just kind of like, hey, there's a lot of buttons to press, there's some corridors to take, you know, you'll figure it out. So I, I'm wondering what kind of brought this on at this stage in the game. The first time we received one of these was in Sword Valley, and that's over halfway through the game. We might have had a few before then, but they were certainly weren't to the concentration we're seeing now here. I turn off the barrier, but I choose not to return to the electrical barrier because another walkway nearby connects to another area of the zone, and I don't necessarily always need to be steered by the yellow dotted line on my minimap that's taking me through the main story quest. Yellow dotted line, you're gonna have to wait. So I go off to the other area. I find a face maintenance bay, very much like the one I saw in Galahad Fortress, and near that is the regeneration control, which is also a waypoint. It's a control station looking down into a room with a large conical container. I can't interact with any of the panels. Was this where Fiora's soul transfer took place? Did you find this place? I did, and it did seem like a somewhat familiar room, both in the fact that maybe we've been here in prior cutscenes, but also if we're talking a regeneration chamber, that there are tubes in which potentially beings are housed, I'm thinking of Emeralda as well. Mm. Oh sure, yeah, that's interesting. Just for fun, not not any sort of larger implication there. It's a room with a giant sci-fi test tube that looks like kind of like a virtual test tube, if that makes any sense. Uh, one, one other thing I'll note too is when we bombed our way inside that wall and we were in an area that was more like the inner workings of the um, factory and it's there where you can see a lot of like the cannon fodder mechon being loaded into um, the dropships or container pods or whatever in mass, and uh, so we're kind of we're kind of getting an idea. It's like, yeah, we see a lot of machines pumping and things, you know, larger things in operation here. But behind the walls, you see some of the more uh, the more like micro operations of the place. The the, the smaller form mechon being put together. Also in this area is a holy shit level 70 golden sparkly elite, but it's one of those colossal mantis tanks. His name is Majestic Mordred. I am no match for Majestic Mordred. I turn back. Yeah, neither am I. I avoided him. We cross into the tower boarding gate. There are a few bipedal non-face mechons that show up, M88 Rapids, and Miniboss music plays. They have this skill called Gala Chainsaw 5, and it hits Fiora for 3,000 damage. Holy crap. There's just so many prompted fights in this area. I think there were like five unavoidable, you have to fight these people fights, um, which is fine. I'm, I'm not complaining about content whatsoever. But we are arriving at our final destination, the the lift that is going to, or not even a lift, a teleporter at the heart of the uh, factory that is going to take us to Agnaratha. Agnaratha, that's the name of the capital. Agnaratha. It's kind of like Alchemoth, right? I mean, not exactly like it, but, you know, structure and uh, flow kind of makes me think that there's a little uh, another duality or parody in that. Oh, in, in its name? Yeah, not that Alchemoth is the capital of Bionis, but kind of feels like it in certain ways, don't you think? Yeah, it kind of does. They're both at the head, their names start the letter A. Similar amount of, uh, if you were to say it in jet, let me look at it, you, one, two, three, four, now, um, let's see. Yeah, you, in Japanese it'd be the same, like a similar amount of characters. Just a little bit more connection there. Um, but we get another cutscene before we arrive. Holy crap, we do. Hold on, before we do, hey, so I recognize that name, Agnaratha. All right, go for it. There is a waypoint in Machna Forest called the Agni Tablet. Mm. And I went there to see if I could make any, if I can join any of the dots between this Agni Tablet and Agnaratha. And it doesn't look very conspicuous. It doesn't look very Mechanis-y, but it is a large stone in the ground, over, completely overgrown with like moss and even grass, I guess. But it does kind of take the shape of a screw and it has a very particular design on its face, like, like the rune part of the stone. And I couldn't imagine where it could have been, but I thought back to that, that that wide shot of Mechanis at the end of the Egil scene when Mechanis itself glows red in the face. And I looked at those dangling beard 
things, and I kind of wondered, well, may maybe in that fight between the two titans, did the Monado shear off a bit of beard or knock a tooth loose and it landed in Machina Forest? Probably not, but I but I did notice Agony was relevant somewhere in Bionis. I'd believe it because one thing we've learned about this game is that like it's like that philosophy for indigenous people that they want to use every part of the animal in order to give it the respect it's due. With this game, they want to use every part of what they've created to create some sort of content. So even a, a fallen arm is a zone, and I love that about it. So I could believe that even a, a slash that happened in a battle of a cutscene, there's some lore and there's some remnant of that laying somewhere that we can make that slash real for us in the modern day. Do you want to lead into the uh, cutscene? Sure. I have the entire scene written out. Okay. I'm more so thinking about revelations than exact dialogue, so maybe just go through the whole thing and then I'll go through my notes. All right. In this scene, the second battle of Sword Valley is underway, and this time the Homs have air power, high Entia dogfighters, and pterodactyls with no pawns in their claws dropping I don't know pollen orbs. Nate. 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 Yeah. Waluigi is back. Yeah, Waluigi. <laughs> yeah, I have a big WTF written here. Like, didn't he get crushed to death? What the fuck? Yeah, I thought so. I thought, uh, I thought Metal Face killed him. Yeah. Plus, you don't see him anywhere in Colony 9. So he's he's actually kind of sus for me right now. I'm not sure. Is this a... Is this a plant or a, I don't I don't know. We haven't heard about anybody being resurrected or like the the Cylon equivalent of Homs or something. But I, I'm a little creeped out by him being here so nonchalantly and that nobody has questions of like, where have you been this entire time? Right. He also calls the High Antia sissies. He's still wielding that grenade launcher. Yeah, I, I don't know what to think about this. They just run out of character models and this is like his twin brother. <laughs> Waluigi doesn't have a twin brother brother <laughs> what are you talking it's wario. about <laughs> it's wario it's wario or it's luigi i'm waiting for us to get yet another mario luigi knockoff in that while luigi and wario have like doppelganger counterparts to them that are even worse because you think about it like wario's the anti-mario right right did we need did we really really need an anti-luigi is luigi that powerful that important to the mario lore i think i heard that the first waluigi game was mario tennis oh so that he could have a was it mario tennis so they could have a partner maybe <laughs> Yeah, and now he's just so entrenched, like, uh, we're demanding him for Smash, and Smash is done. Smash is done. A fighter swoops in and stops next to Atheron, who is judging the conflict at a distance. Multicolored laser blasts dart past him occasionally. It's Dixon who's in the fighter. Uh, Atheron estimates that their forces are going to overwhelm the Mechon forces so hard they don't even need Shulk's help, and Dixon mocks him for taking that position. With this many troops on our side, we don't even need Shulk's help. You're telling me you're more worried about the kid's schedule? Kinda soft for you, Atharon. Atharon has been... What was the what was the term for it? the John Kerry? Is it flip-flopper? Was that the... We popularized that? Even back to that uh, Ether Minds episode, he was just like, Oh, you're gonna rely on the Monado? You're gonna do this? You know, you're... You know, we've been doing this fight for months. We've been surviving on our own grit and metal, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, he just doesn't place his faith in anything other than himself, and he gives everybody the business and gives them shit until, like, midway through that conversation with Callian, he was just like, alright, I guess it's fine. But that's the only time where Atheron's been, like, agreeable. We cut to another fighter. Callian's in this one. He's hollering orders, instructing unseen lieutenants on where troops ought to fight. Back to Waluigi. He's charging in headfirst. He makes the sissy comment, but but he does um, say that they have some pretty nifty gear. Bring it on! These high may be a bunch of sissies, but they've got 
some pretty nifty gear! And he says that as high Entia fighters soar above him, and these high Entia automatons produce energy shields around the charging vanguard, Atheron calls Waluigi an idiot for charging in so hard, and then heavy artillery mechs like the one Fiora got owned in back in Colony 9 fire mortars into the air. This is an active war battle going on here. Nopon Elder, what was his name, Dunga, um, hollers inspirational bullshit while three pterodactyls take down one of those colossal mantis tanks by dropping, I don't know, rocks on its head. One Nopon Bombardier's battle cry is, fight like our hero pawn, Ricky. Are the Nopon giving off um, Gungan vibes here? Gungan vibes, or um, or Ewoks and kites? Oh yeah, yeah, because you there's there's like that audible clunk sound when a stormtrooper gets hit by a obviously foam rock because the <laughs> rock has zero weight to it. It just kind of like bounces off, like it, it did zero damage, but they put in this loud clunk in the ADR. So Callian estimates we've gained the upper hand and a lieutenant says if things are going the way they have been, well, it's going to be a decisive victory. Then it is revealed that Alvis is here in the fighter too and he checks the lieutenant saying that they may have hidden forces about. Guess what? A squad of Zord faces wielding poison lances show up. They all throw their lances into the ground, destroying infantry and air support alike. Callian is unfazed and issues new orders in response. Encircle the faces. A lieutenant says that's dangerous and Callian says he doesn't care he would rather put himself in danger to win the fight than to lead from behind. Once the vanguard has been eliminated, we must join the fight. Better that than die as cowards. Move! Not bad for a Hyentia, honestly. Yeah, he's the first Hyentia that has, like, passions about something and doesn't want to just sit on a stoop somewhere and deliver exposition or support via dialogue. Or, <laughs> I don't know. He, he's in the thick of it for the first time we've seen a Hyentia take charge. And frankly, I like him. I think he's cool. Quick question about those green spears. Do they actually need to hit their target or just by landing are they, uh, like, shooting out Bionis Blast into the area and killing Hawk? Great question. Um, I don't know. I, it was unclear on that point because people seemed harmed by them, but they didn't actually come in contact with like the impact of the spear itself. But yet people were like knocked over and you heard like the, ah! Yeah, maybe it crushes a vial. The vial. It's all vile here. Back to Dixon. We realize his incredible piloting skills as he wastes multiple faced mechons with his fighter. His skill is dangerous and stylish, pulling off moves like flying point blank into a target, laying on the laser as it closes distance, then banking out of the way of at the last second as the face explodes. Several more airborne faces hurl their lances at Dixon's aircraft, but he dodges them, banks skyward, extends the fighter's talon-like grappling claw, catches another lance in mid-air with it, then barrel rolling several times as he continues to gain altitude, throws it back at one of the face mechons, which crumples and explodes in blue light. Then he does a stylish loop with Bionis's verdant face looming in the background and spits one last insult at them. Should've stayed home, lousy junk bots. Should've stayed at home. Lousy junk bots. I have my theories about Dixon, but this was a pretty awesome moment. We have to give props to Dixon for finally getting out there on the battlefield. And he also did every single move that you can do in Star Fox 64. Every single one of them. That's a good point. In, in a vehicle, he has just made contact with seemingly within the last couple hours. Yeah, this cutscene just keeps on clipping here. Larithia is watching in another fighter. Her arms are crossed, a knuckle pressed to her lip in thought. She says they're doing well and they haven't yet unleashed their full power to their true potential. Final shot, Waluigi hollers and cries out again, charging again, fade to black. Whose full power hasn't been unleashed yet? The Minados, who is Zanzo, who is maybe Alvis, who is Shulk. She's saying they're doing well. You know, we've got Nopon, we've got Homs, we've got Hyantia here. Is there another level that that Homs have yet to achieve because largely they just have like man-made weapons, right? Nopon, we know what Nopon do. So like, I'm wondering where she's coming from that there's like the more potential to give. Is it just more grit, more combat capacity, or is there something else she's hinting at here? Maybe it's the flesh eaters because this has been like a military fight. This has been blasting one another, not like devouring yeah one side so i don't know yep yep and then we're cutting it here because we have a whole nother half of the chapter yet this felt like a stopping part for a chapter and we've had chapters in the past where the story kind of does stop sort of abruptly in this sort of manner but it that's not the case there's more chapter 14 in front of us but we're gonna wait till next time before we talk about it <laughs> Uh, 
As you might have guessed, this has been a production of Hero with a Thousand Potions, recorded on August 23rd or 24th, 2022. We are consistent in that we hit it right on the time swap. Email us at hero with a thousand potions at gmail.com 1000 potions as always. We're also on Discord via a link that you can find on our RSS feed and on Twitter as well. I think I want to keep pl- quit. not that it matters very much, but I think I want to quit pl- plugging Twitter because I'm not... I just don't have time. You need to post more memes. We need to start a TikTok. Do you want to manage that? No, I don't. I'm too, I'm too old. I don't. I'm a boomer. <laughs> I really like our vibe. At this rate, it's only a matter of time before we lose. I'm feeling our vibe, but apparently you're not. You think uh, this ship is going down. <laughs> Picking another random one. Wait, 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 wait. Apologies. This isn't me. <laughs> Chalk says, me too, Fiora. Yeah, Fiora, let's show them what we got. I I was a member of a 20-somethings group back in Eau Claire when I lived there uh, 15 years ago or so. Mm-hmm. And um, that that group, there was one point where there was a guy who started the group in his 20-somethings, but then he became 30. And people were, <laughs> people were mad that this 30-year-old was coming to the 20-somethings group. And this was, this was at a church, but it was really just a veiled, like, dating competition you know the nobody cared about the bible in this group (laughs) they just wanted to meet a prospective husband or wife that shared some of their own indoctrinations so that that's really what it was but he aged out yeah he aged out i mean he hadn't found a mate at that point so it was time to um i don't know what's the reality tv show term oh um he didn't get the rose. He got voted off the island. I got to think of a biblical one. A biblical rejection. A biblical rejection? Uh, Peter denied Christ three times. Yeah, he... <laughs> Peter has denied him a spot in the... Tw- this doesn't work. You can cut this, but you'll edit it down to something that's a little bit fresher. Anyway, he aged out of the group and everybody was like, oh, like, oh, okay, you know, it's it's time for him to move on. And I think I'm in the later half of 30s now and, like, nobody wants me in their groups anymore. That's why I'm here with you, Tyler, on this podcast, is nobody wants me in their groups anymore. Right. We're not 30-something gamers. We're 30-something plus gamers. Holy shit. Okay, let's keep removing here. We're on the tail end of the golf course. The back half. The back half, circling that 16th hole. Man, it's Logan's run around here. Wait, who's my, who's my doppelganger? Who's your doppelganger? It's fucking me, dude. Is there... Do- yeah, that's true. Are there doppelgangers in Xenoblade? What am I thinking about? Oh. Oh, right, 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 right. Yep, I remember now. I hesitated to say Eskimo doppelgangers on account of being <laughs> racist. This is season one, and we're playing Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive... Definitive edition? Shit. This is season one and we're talking about Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive... Fuck me! This is season one and we're talking about Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. (laughs) Can we just get a a robot to say definitive? Okay. I'll say it right here and you can cut me in. Okay. Definitive edition. Definitive edition. This is season one and we're talking about Xenoblade Chronicles... (laughs) hey what is going on this is off the rails okay i'm not composed yet hold on i'll I'll fuck up another take this is our um outtakes track the six minutes of outtakes no oh my god at the end of the episode this is season one and we're talking about (laughs) okay all right all right all right I can't believe this shit. I'm married into wiener dog people, and now I am wiener dog people. The main question I have is, now that you have a 
human dog person in your life, huh. are you going to refrain from acquiring more wiener dogs in the at least near future? I, you know what? My wife's nickname is the Ween Queen. She comes from a family that has owned wiener dogs for five generations. And I don't think, so I don't think we're going to put the brakes on that. I think we're going to get another one, another another wiener dog. It's funny you say that because my wife's nickname is also the Ween Queen. What? <laughs> that, I, I don't need to explain it. You don't. It's better to leave it dry. Um, should we get into this? I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, let let's get into it, Tyler. Nate, should we put this back on the rails? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm locking that back then. Yeah. Uh, that as it was officially. Bleh. Oh, lastly, I don't. To this day, I don't know if my sister had done or does do cocaine. Good note. Good note. When I select the vent to set up the explosive, the explosive. When I set, <clears throat> when I select the event, when I select the vent, fuck me. Look out for Steve, everybody. Look out for Steve Mains. Be careful. Be careful out there, guys. It's a dangerous nexus. My my note is awkward here. I need to read this and then rewrite it in my head and then say it. I can call myself a boomer because my dad gifted me with his Agent Orange. Um, so I've got, I was in Vietnam basically. So I'm, I'm going to call myself a boomer. Why is Ryan more impassionedly responding to Fiora than Shulk is? Shulk's just like me too, but Ryan is, Ryan, Ryan fucks, man. Ryan's got it going on. He may be dumb, but he knows how to get it.